0: So therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because that is your true worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can discern what is that good, pleasing, perfect will of God. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, thank you for the opportunity you have given to us to sit and to allow your spirit to work in us. Now, God, I ask, as we open your word today, and in a little unusual way, that, Father, your name would be made much of as we reflect on the people that you have surrounded us with who so accurately picture what it means to be a citizen of heaven. We thank you for Christ. It's in his good name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat, or if you choose to stand all morning, knock yourself out. has to be one. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. If you want to grab your Bible, go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be there this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. I don't know about you, but when I was, um, some of you haven't been in class for a while. Um, I haven't been in class for a little while, but um, I, I used to like when I would go to class and the teacher would say, okay, there's this massive homework assignment coming, and then the teacher would allow us time in class to begin working on it and that was my favorite kind of homework, because then, then as I might be struggling with a problem, I could l- reach over and, and grab somebody and be like, hey, number three, how in the world did you get, and, and kind of work through it together, kind of encourage each other in that process. Well, I'm warning you ahead of time, there is homework today, but I'm going to let you get, on it, get started on it in class. And uh, you'll understand what that means in a few minutes, and uh, hopefully a few minutes. We'll see how long I dribble on. Um, those of you that uh, haven't been with us, we have been working through the book of Philippians together. Uh, Philippians is a, a wonderful book reminding us of the great joy that we have in Jesus Christ. You have a picture of Paul who is just talking repeatedly about no matter what happens around him, no matter what happens to him, in those moments what he is, he is seeing, observing, feeling, and choosing in those moments is to Rejoice. And so that's been our challenge together as we've uh, been walking through the, the book of Philippians together. And, and, and actually where we find ourselves today uh, is kind of in the next chunk of Philippians, where he has challenged us now in chapter 1, verse 27, to live as citizens of heaven. Trying to wrap your head around what that looks like. And then he goes on a little further and says, not only live as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Before I launch into what our text has for us today, uh, I need to make sure that I address what the gospel is. Um, our, our text today really does a fantastic job of driving home the application point of what it means to be a citizen in heaven, assuming that the people in the, at the church of Philippi know, love, and are in Jesus Christ. Um, I do not want to make that assumption here, If I assume that all of you sitting in this room know and appreciate the gospel and have been found in Jesus Christ, if I just assume that, then one day I will stand before God and I will answer for that assumption. I don't want to make that assumption. If I assume that, it's bad news for you as well, because if I don't explain to you what the gospel is, and then you stand before God after I have assumed that you know the gospel and you actually don't, then the answer is far grimmer than even the judgment that I will receive and that you will receive the full judgment of God's wrath. And, and I don't want that. Please, please don't, when you hear this, please understand this. The gospel, the gospel isn't a, a high moral way to live. To be worthy of the gospel doesn't mean to carry a big Bible every Sunday. Okay, It doesn't mean to climb up this hill and park your car and walk in here and see people who you love and appreciate, have grown up with perhaps, and you, you share common interests, you share common experiences, because in sincerity, that's nothing more than a country club. The gospel has, has very little to do with the outside. The gospel has everything to do with the inside. And so, I don't want to assume that you know the gospel, so let me make sure that I I lay it out for you. The gospel is the declaration of good news. Now, understand that within that declaration of good news, it begins with bad news. And that bad news is this you are a sinner. Every single one of us is a sinner. We're told that in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 6 says, we are sinners, that's just true, and and nobody's like, oh, great, so glad I came to church today, so encouraging, that's such good news, it's not, but it's the picture of why we need the good news, See, you're a sinner and you're lost and you cannot do anything about it yourself. You can't stand before God and claim that you were better than somebody else and earn his acceptance. You can't stack one good deed on top of another good deed on top of another good deed, hoping to build a pile tall enough to reach into God's presence where he would be pleased and satisfied with you. Apart from the payment for your sin, which is death, there is no appeasing God's justice. God can't simply overlook your sin or else he wouldn't be a just judge he wouldn't be a fair god if he just overlooked your sinfulness so instead what god did was this he loved you and it wasn't just a valentine's day card kind of love it wasn't just the the verbal admission of i have strong feelings for you it was a love demonstrated in an action that that we can't get over this is love first john 4 10 not that we love god that God loved us, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ. So while we were still sinners, Romans 5, Jesus Christ died for us. And the declaration of good news is that now, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, freedom from your sin is available. If you would simply admit that you're a sinner and that Jesus is a good savior, and he came and he laid down his life on that cross, and he was crucified where you should have been put to death, he was laid in the tomb that you should have been laid in, but he didn't stay there. Because three days later, he's alive. And forever lives. Now, now I set a rule, there you go, good, okay, oh, okay. Okay, hold on. Okay, first service, I set a rule, it caught on by the end. One clap, that doesn't good. One clap, y'all gonna jump in. Now it's not clapping for me, but it's clapping for the good news. So if you're gonna, we started already, right, so let's finish the job, come on. All right, good. I'm gonna train you yet. We're going to edit the recording, so it sounds like you're clapping for me. and no, I'm just kidding. I'm Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so the reality of that good news is what fills Paul full of that joy. And when he says, be a citizen of heaven, live worthy of the gospel, he's saying, understand how far God went to get you, and then live in light of that. Live in light of that. So so don't wash the outside of the tomb. Take care of the dead man's bones inside. Live worthy of the gospel. You get to chapter two. Excuse me, he he says, what I want you to do is I want you to live, Philippian church. I want you to live in unity. I want you to live in humility. I want you to uh, do the math and add up the interests of other people and make sure you do the math in such a way that their interests equals a lot more than your interests. And I want you, Philippian church, to serve each other out of humility. In fact, chapter 2, verse 5, I want you to have in you the very same mind that was in Jesus Christ. That even though Jesus could have chosen to do none of the cross, he chose to do all of the cross for you. I want you to live like that. Chapter 2, verse 12, he says, in in light of what Jesus did for you, I want you to be busy about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, without re-preaching last week's message. I'll just jump in and say, remember, salvation has three different aspects to it. You have the past aspect of salvation. That is that glorious moment where you are justified, where you have been freed from the penalty of sin. In an instant, you have been changed. Salvation is a future aspect. It's that aspect of glorification that's, that's going to happen in the future. That is, you, you will be changed. <laughs> you, you will be nothing like you are here because you will be free from sin's presence. And that it happens the moment you look Jesus face to face. This salvation, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This salvation is the present salvation. That is the aspect you are changing. You are becoming more and more holy. That is not earning your acceptance in God's eyes. It's living in light of the acceptance that you've received from God. So you are changing. You are being sanctified. You are freed from sin's power. And so your job, your responsibility, is to starve the flesh, feed the spirit, and grow in holiness. So work out that salvation, that practical holiness, day in and day out, with great fear and trembling, understanding in a profound way you can't do it yourself. But the beautiful news is this, it is God who works in you, and he creates both the desire and the ability to do what he's called you to do. So Philippian Church, or Uniontown Bible Church, be busy about those things. I know you're all surprised that I was just able to preach all of the first two chapters of Philippians in a single breath. I'm actually having trouble catching my breath now. What's interesting when we come to our text today is this, you have all this great theology, you have this great teaching, uh, this great instruction that Paul is giving, and then suddenly you get to verse 19 of chapter two, and it's all building, and it's like, oh, in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and and then I want you to have the same mind in you that's in Christ Jesus, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, it's all this really deep, heavy theological, practical Christian life stuff. You get to verse 19, and you have a travel itinerary. What? I want to encourage you to Make sure as we read these verses and talk about these two men, that we see what Paul's been describing all along up to this point. In the men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, we see what it looks like to live like a citizen of heaven. And I would even say, we see what it looks like to live like a citizen of heaven with others around us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So chapter two, starting in verse 19, Paul says this, now... I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests because all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. So just dealing with a couple of uh, housekeeping aspects of this. What Paul is saying is I want to send Timothy to you, Philippian church. I want you to be encouraged, but I also want myself to be encouraged as I hear the good news of how the gospel has taken root in you and how you are living like a citizen of heaven. And and though I strongly believe that I'm going to get out of, he- of, of, of prison real soon and I'm going to uh, end up in your presence, um, the reality is it may not happen, so I want to get Timothy to you as soon as I can. And so, so that's, that's kind of what he's saying, but why Timothy? Why is he sending Timothy? There's a couple of reasons, and I'm going to walk through as we look at this passage so that you you see them clearly. First is this, Paul has this great affinity for Timothy. It's like his son. He says, we've done gospel ministry together like a son with a father. When you you look at uh, the rest of Scripture, what you find about this young man Timothy is he grew up in what would be modern-day Turkey, His mom's name was Eunice, his grandma's name was Lois, and he was in kind of a different situation for a person at that time. His mom was Jewish and his dad was Greek. And and, and so mom and grandma, Eunice and Lois, really worked hard to bring him up uh, in an understanding of the gospel. They were a huge influence on him. And then Paul comes into town in Acts chapter 16 and he wants to bring Timothy with him, and he does, and he plants the church that's now Philippi, the Philippian church, uh, and he travels with Paul a number of places, a number of times, and as you hear Paul talk about Timothy throughout Scripture, what you hear from him is, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's like, and not like, hey, we're boys. I mean, like, that's, I'm so proud of this kid. That's my boy. He's like a dear son to me. He, 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 he's he, he's." in the faith, and he's working hard, and and he's doing everything that I could ever possibly imagine him doing. I mean, he, that's that's my son, that's my boy. He's like-minded with Paul. It says he's, there's nobody that has the same mind like like Timothy does with me. The the literal translation of that would be equal-souled. They share in the same goals, the same passions, the same love, and that goal, that passion, that love here in this text is talking about the church of Philippi. He loves the church at Philippi, so much so that he's willing to set all of his stuff aside and care about Philippi and the needs and interests of Philippi. He says that right there. He's going to care about your interests. It's interesting That word care in verse 20 is the same word that's used in chapter four, verse six, the one that we're all pretty familiar with. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Don't care about anything. That's the same word. So so really, you could say that Timothy is genuinely concerned, passionately worried in the positive sense about the well-being of the church there at Philippi. You see Timothy really playing out with chapter two, verses three and four say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. What you see in Timothy is, is, is that What Paul is highlighting in Timothy, maybe I'll say it that way, the the things that Paul is highlighting in Timothy aren't the things that you would expect the Apostle Paul to highlight in a person. I think if you and I were getting a letter from the Apostle Paul, we would expect him to be like, you know, Timothy, he is theologically astute. You know, Timothy, he can win any argument he's in. You know, Timothy, he's no, what he says about Timothy is this, he is a man of proven character. That that phrase, proven character character that you find there in chapter 2 verse 22 is uh, the the idea of taking um, a precious metal and, and boiling it to the place where all the impurities of the precious metal are burnt away and you're left with pure metal. What Paul says is Timothy has that pure character. He's proven character his proven worth over time as timothy has interacted with people as timothy has interacted with the church what you have found is he is a man of great integrity and he's not a rookie it says that he yeah, oh it says it right there i know it does there it is verse 22 he has served with me in the gospel ministry he's not a rookie he started serving with Paul before this church was planted, and he continued along with him. One of the, I don't know how many of you have read First and Second Corinthians lately. Um, the church at Corinth was a disaster. Now, so much so, I'm actually somewhat embarrassed to mention some of the things that they had to deal with, because they were so off the rails, so I shall not. But let it be said this, Paul, in looking at that train wreck of a church said, Timothy, you go. You take care of those people. You love those difficult to love people. And so in that process, what has happened is Timothy received the spiritual scars that are gospel ministry. It's, It's fascinating to me that in the middle of all of this, under the inspiration and leadership and direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul takes time in the middle of this chunk of Philippians to celebrate Timothy, and in a moment, Epaphroditus. That is so countercultural today. We shudder the idea of celebrating somebody publicly. We just shudder at it. Instead, we just give everybody a participation trophy because their name was on the roster. And so, by celebrating everybody... We celebrate nobody. Now, the problem is is that that's one aspect of the pendulum. The other aspect of the pendulum is, well, we're not going to celebrate everybody, so we're just going to celebrate nobody because we don't want anybody to feel left out. Well, heads up, I'm about to celebrate some people. And just because I don't celebrate you doesn't mean I don't appreciate what you do here. I just think that these men and women are people who I I need to make sure I take time to, to lift up in front of you so you understand that as I read this passage about Timothy and I see his character and I see his experience, what I find around me, surrounding me with these men and women here at Uniontown Bible Church, I find the same characteristics and they ought to be celebrated. The elders, pastors, And the staff of Uniontown Bible Church, they are my family. I was reminded this week, in a very powerful and real way, how much I love and appreciate them. Um, They bear the scars of gospel experience, they make much of Jesus Christ by making less of themselves. They've counted your interests as greater than their interests. Now, let's be honest, okay? You may not agree with every elder, every pastor, every staff member, and every decision they make. You may not, I know this is going to be crazy, so bear with me. You may not even like every elder, pastor, or staff member. There's one that I don't like. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) They're all like, who is it? (laughs) Who is it? Well, it ain't Stephanie, I'll tell you that. How's that? (laughs) Uh, Got to be easy on that one. So, um, but regardless how you feel about them, their love and concern for you, uh, their love and concern and care for the local church that is Uniontown should be honored. And so what I'm going to ask is that our elders and pastors and staff stand up and don't be sheepish. All right, hold on, before you clap, I'm gonna make it even more obnoxious. Look at them, see them. I'm gonna ask if you can see them, and if you don't mind, that you would leave your chair and have a quick conversation with them and tell them how grateful you are for them. All right, all right, go for it. This is the homework part. (laughs) That's right. So it was just pointed out, and it's true, there were some that actually escaped a few minutes ago, so we're gonna fire them this week, so you can pray. (laughs) (laughs) I have said this to them, about them, in their presence and not in their presence. I love my job. I love my job. But there is nothing better than being able to do this job with people I love. And these are some awesome people. They're twisted just like me. Okay, there we go, there we go, good. (laughs) So again, you know, they're not perfect. They're certainly not perfect, especially that one. But we'll talk about him later. Um, oh, they're not perfect. I'm just kidding. They're not perfect. And Timothy wasn't perfect. Timothy wasn't perfect. I mean, Paul. Paul still highlights Timothy and he celebrates who Timothy's character. Uh, Timothy is and who is, what his character is like. But but in reality, he's not perfect. You look at First and Second Timothy and you hear Paul calling Timothy out on a few things. stop, stop blaming your youthfulness, man. Be an example. Hey, don't don't be fearful. Be bold." I mean, so, so, so understand that they're, while they're not perfect, the elders, pastors, and staff at Unitown are, are working with an energy that's driven by a knowledge of what God has done for them and what God wants to do for you. And so it's a privilege to serve with them. So, so that's Timothy. Let's look at Epaphroditus and see who else we can embarrass. All right, verse 25 says this, but I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, a fellow soldier, Well, as your messenger and minister to my need, since he's been longing for all of you, he was distressed because you heard that he was sick, and indeed, he was so sick, he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. So therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy And hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Epaphrodite, a guy who we really don't know, sorry, Epaphroditus, I get it right, is not a guy we know a lot about. Um, We know, this is, I just kind of gave a clue, we know where his name comes from. His name comes from the Greek goddess Aphrodite, And his name actually could be translated to mean handsome or charming. So moms, if you're expecting, Paphroditus is the way to go. (laughs) Um, So Paphroditus was a fellow who was from the Philippian church. Uh, The Philippian church gave a rather substantial gift to the apostle Paul while he was in prison. And so Paphroditus, he, he traveled from Philippi to Paul, which was some 800 miles. It would have taken him more than six weeks and somewhere along the way, he got sick, somewhere, somewhere along, and, and really sick, like almost dying sick. And that's really all we know about Epaphroditus, except for what Paul lays out about him in verse 25. He calls him, is this Epaphroditus? He is my brother. He is, he's, again, that family affection he has for this man. And, and, and I just want to point this out. I don't want you to miss this. Epaphroditus is most certainly a Gentile. Paul, who is a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he says in the next chapter, is celebrating a relationship with a Gentile, a Jew and a Gentile. That is, does not happen. And that is a glorious consequence of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 2, you've got the the wall of hostility has been torn down, and and I think too often we sell it short, we think about that wall being above us between us and God and how that wall has been shattered by the finished work of Jesus Christ, but that wall isn't just above us. That wall actually has stood between ethnicities at times, and what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 is that wall is gone, and so now you could be completely different from each other, but you have Jesus Christ in common and your family. He's, Epaphroditus is my brother, Epaphroditus is my co-worker. Uh, He sees Epaphroditus not as an underling, he sees him as a partner in ministry. I mean, even though Epaphroditus wasn't as publicly known as Paul, he was focused on the good of the church, the work of the gospel. Paul calls him a fellow soldier. There's a real battle. There's, There's real darts, there's real arrows, and it took a real energy and a real toughness and a real willingness to persevere. A real willingness not to to shrink back from the difficulties in life, even though there was lots of opportunities to do so. Epaphroditus could have shrunk back after that illness, but he stuck to it. He didn't give in. He was a messenger. He came from the Philippian church and carried the gift to encourage Paul, which is no small thing. Paul says he was a, a minister to my need. And it says that he was filling up what was lacking in your ministry to me. You know what was lacking in the Philippians' ministry to Paul? Their ability to be with him. So, so as their minister, as their messenger, they sent Epaphroditus, and he was the, the visible, um, tangible hands and feet of the church of Philippi, right there in Paul's jail cell. But I, but I think the thing that stands out to me anyway the most is what we find in verse 30 about him. He was a man who was willing to risk everything for the gospel. Says he became came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Risking his life. That word risking is a term for gambling. It's a term for hazarding at great difficulty. Hazarding your life. It's taking a chance knowing that there could be great consequence. It's rolling the dice. And the word's only used here in the New Testament, but in the, the Greek literature around the time of the writing of the Bible, it spoke of a, a group of people who at that time, and again, as, what happens often in history is you have a group of people who do something, and then the, as that history moves on, by the time you read about them six, 700 years later, they're completely different, and that happened with this group. But in the time of the writing of the Bible, it was these people who were willing to gamble their lives, they were willing to take great risks And what they did is they went and they served people who had infectious diseases. And they would would just not care for themselves. They would walk right into the very presence of those people who had the infectious diseases. And they would serve them and minister to them and provide medicine for them. And they would take great risk of their own safety, their own security by serving those people. And yet they still did it because they were willing to do it. Some people are particularly gifted and filled with a passion to reach a difficult-to-reach people. you look at the scripture, you see Moses, right? God says to Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. My my children, the children of Israel are crying out to me. They're underneath the thumb of Pharaoh. I want you to go and stand in front of the world's most powerful man, Pharaoh, and I want you to demand that he lets my people go. Now, Moses had every excuse in the book, and yet God still empowered him to do that, didn't he? You think about Elijah as God tells Elijah, I want you to go confront one of the most evil kings in Israel's history. Go confront King Ahab now. Now, did Elijah do it? Eventually. He did it. How about my favorite, Ananias, Acts chapter nine. So, so you got God showing up to this man named Ananias saying, okay, hey, Ananias, this is what I want you to do. Um, you know Judas. I want you to go to Judas' house. He lives on Straight Street. You go to Straight Street where Judas lives. And when you walk in, you're going to find a man there who's blind and who's praying. And what I want you to do, Ananias, I want you to go and lay your hand on his shoulder and he will be healed. He'll receive his sight. Oh, yeah. And by the way, his name is Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias, man, he talks back to God. He's like, oh, have you heard of Saul of Tarsus? I'm not doing that. And God said, no, no, no. He is my chosen vessel. And Ananias at great risk to himself goes. So, do you know of anybody serving in a closed country? Serving in, in a dangerous culture? Serving God in spite of the fact that there is a great risk? And we know people like that, don't we? And they're they're making up what is lacking in our ministry, all going to places while they may not be closed, going to places where there's great risk for them and their family. God has called us to live as citizens of heaven, and that looks different than living the American dream, doesn't it? But I think too often, what we cling to singularly, and most importantly, is our comfort. And what we find here with both Timothy and Epaphroditus is they didn't cling to that. They were clinging to what it was that Jesus Christ had done for them. Their eyes were fixed on Christ and on Christ alone, and he was their most valuable possession. Is he yours? I'm going to tell you this if he is, it doesn't matter what comes along. It doesn't matter how difficult the day is, it doesn't matter how dark the day is, it doesn't matter how your health goes. If Jesus is your most valuable possession, okay, your life is not going to be perfect. Your bank account is not going to be full. Everybody will not love you. But if Jesus is your most valuable possession, all of those things will melt away because He will be satisfied with you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the precious promise that Christ is enough. Now, Lord, I ask that you would help us to do the work of celebrating those people that you have placed in our lives who, who represent what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. And then, God, may we live lives that are worthy of the gospel. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.